Welcome to the Medical Affairs Professional Society's Medical Strategy and Launch Excellence Focus Area Working Group's four-episode podcast series, Medical Affairs Plans, from strategic planning to measuring impact. The views expressed in this recording are those of the individuals and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of MAPS or the companies with which they are affiliated. This presentation is for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal or regulatory advice. This podcast focuses on the intellectual component of building the Medical Affairs Strategic Plan. I am Monica de Abadar. Currently, I serve as the VP Medical Excellence at Ipsen. In addition, I co-lead the MAPS Medical Strategy and Launch Excellence Focus Area Working Group and have served as part of the MAPS EMEA Committee. This series podcast objectives are understand how the medical affairs strategic planning process can drive decision-making throughout the year, gain insight into the value medical affairs bring across an organization when an effective, collaborative, aligned medical strategy plan is developed, obtain a working knowledge of how cross-functional teams within medical affairs can refer in strategic plans to inform decision-making and assess impact of efforts. In March 2020, at the MAPS annual meeting in Miami, a panel of medical affairs executives was convened to discuss MA strategic planning. Our panelists for the podcast are Peter Piero, MD, He serves as VP and Head, Medical Affairs Americas, GSK Consumer Healthcare. Aileen Sawyer, PhD. She is Vice President, Global Medical Affairs at Unicure. Anna Waltz, CEO of Medevoke. Len Valentino, President and CEO, National Hemophilia Foundation. As we all know, understanding of the disease and the treatment landscape is the basis of strategic planning. In your views and experience, how soon do medical affairs teams need to start planning? Well, and, and I think that you're, you're hitting a very important thing, which is that not a lot of people have four years. And so when you start the process of strategic medical planning, is dependent on a lot of different factors. Um, the first might be the size of your company. So if you're a very small company like we were and like Vexus yeah, was as well, You might need more of a runway because you have to get to know the, the space that you're in. You're an unknown player. Uh, you might be facing challenges around a rare disease and undiagnosed disease um, and, and be able to, um, in, in order to be able to address those challenges, you might need a longer runway. You might even have to, as I was called on, to start addressing some of those challenges just to ensure success of the clinical development program even before you start talking about commercialization. Um, at a larger company um, or a company that's established, more established in the space, knows it very well already or has infrastructure, you might be able to start a lot closer to launch, maybe two years um, two years out. So really, when is right depends on a lot of factors, and you have to evaluate um, through that tipping point of cost-benefit for your organization to start investing in these activities. Um, and I think, as I mentioned earlier, and to your point as well, Just because you start planning four years, three years, two years out, it's not a mean you stop planning, that you've completed the plan and, uh, as you said, you put it up on the shelf, 
and you don't look at it again. It's a living document, and you have to revisit it as often as the therapeutic landscape around you and the business conditions change. Yeah. I think um, one thing we hit on at the last um, session was how important starting early is so that we can interface with the clinical R&D side and start to represent endpoints that are meaningful um, and differentiating at launch. And I'd love to hear your perspective and then hear from the audience as well. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about this in the morning, and um, I think I'll also let some of my panelists chime in, but one of the things that we talked about was the importance of um, really understanding the needs of the community that you're aiming to serve to make sure that you're going to be able to generate the data that they need. So what the, for example, what the regulators want to see might be very different from what the patient community wants to see. So you have to understand the needs of the patient community in order to design um, a clinical program that might um, be able to address them, but also will be able to substantiate the fact that we address them with data that come out of it. Um, and so that's where medical affairs can help contribute from a very early stage in, in clinical development all the way up to commercialization. Yeah. And talk about, you know, your experience is invaluable here. I think that having um, the patient perspective is critically important so that the um, when you're developing, for example, developing a, a clinical trial and you're thinking about drug development, uh, device development, it's really imperative to have endpoints within that trial that resonate with patients. So the example that I'll give you is one that I've heard recently at an FDA workshop on rare disease drug development. And somebody was talking about the fact that FEV1 is totally irrelevant and doesn't resonate with patients. But your ability to walk up a flight of stairs does resonate. So it's the exertional capabilities that patients are interested in. You tell them that what their FEV1 is, and they, it doesn't make any sense to them. So that's an endpoint that medical affairs needs to be able to translate. How do you translate FEV1 into something that resonates with patients? So that's something that as clinicians uh, and uh, healthcare professionals, we have the ability to be able to do is take that information and put it into something that's patient relevant. So I think it's looking for the endpoints that will resonate. And we know now both uh, uh, FDA, EMA, uh, PMDA are all looking at ways to incorporate the patient voice more, uh, you know, completely into drug development, device development. But it's a challenge because, you know, we all say that we're patient-centric organizations. Um, and, in fact, we are because patients are the end user of all the things that we're developing. But we really need to um, focus on what the needs of the patient are. So listening to patient advocacy groups and, and patients is going to be critically important moving forward to get those insights. So what I'm hearing is your role in medical affairs, if you start early enough, is to translate what a standard clinical trial endpoint is into something meaningful for a patient that needs to be measured in the clinical trial. Exactly. So if we're not starting early, we don't have the opportunity to incorporate those endpoints, and we don't have in the opportunity to differentiate. So that's really important because if we're six months pre-launch, there's no chance in, you know, on this earth that we're going to be able to incorporate those, correct? And, and many of those endpoints are often novel endpoints. And to have them incorporated into a clinical trial and be ones that are evaluated by regulators, they need to undergo um, a certain development plan so that they um, meet the rigors of the regulatory agency. 
So they have to be validated, essentially. So if you start a year before or two years before, you're not going to have time to validate a patient-important outcome measure. You have to be able to do that ahead of your clinical trial to incorporate it in your clinical trial. So that's why starting early to understand what those endpoints might be is going to be really important moving forward. Because I think this is the way that we're going to see outcomes. We're not going to see FEV1s as the, um, the, the pivotal piece of data that's going to get your product approved it's going to be more important to have the patient important outcomes moving forward. I say one of the things about starting early, which is other, there's other medical affairs tactics that make a difference and take time to mature. Uh, the classic one would be for any of you who are doing scientific in scientific affairs or med ed is, is medical education. It takes two to three years of education on a new topic, a disease state or a way of thinking about a disease state, of diagnosing, uh, diagnostics a, a disease to really sink in. So if you're starting your plan at, uh, you know, T minus 12, you're, it's going to be a couple of years after you launch that you're actually, uh, impacting the, the knowledge change that you're looking for. So, um, starting early has, has additional rewards in addition to influencing the, de the development program. I'd just like to make one more comment, just to go back to the situation when you don't have enough time. I think the example that we heard is pretty classic. When you don't have enough time, your hair is on fire. Yeah. And I think that's what ends up happening is it becomes a very chaotic, disorganized environment where you're always trying to catch up. You're never able to do forward planning. You're always trying to recover from what's being thrown at you. So it's more, you know, you're in a reactive environment as opposed to being proactive and really controlling your situation. So when possible, uh, enough time, uh, you know, to be able to plan. And again, the further back you can go, the further back you can get, um, the better off you are. Right. And as co-chair of the Standards and Guidance Committee for MAPS, I will put in a shameless plug for the Launch Excellence Standards and Guidance document. It was built in collaboration with Pfizer, AbbVie, AstraZeneca, Avexis, uh, and what it really does is provide you as medical affairs leadership the tools that you need to convince your corporate leadership why resourcing early is important, why creating an operational uh, excellence department is important, why bringing field medical early is important, because without that, it would be really hard to catch up when you get to launch and you don't have the ground set and you don't have differentiators already in place. I'm not sure how many of your groups have uh, a professional society's dedicated person, um, but uh, we do, um, and they report to me. Um, and that person uh, creates those relationships that are or and can be key drivers to influencing change amongst a large group of, of HCPs. And so, um, and we always have that fine line of what, how do we impact guidelines, for example. Some of it's just about giving our point of view on, on the disease data on, 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 and on the science or even just presenting our science to those organizations. So as part of our medical affairs strategy plan, we have, uh, uh, sorry, the tactical plan, we have a specific professional society plan that, that also is included in, in that medical affairs plan. So, so the, another, I think, a, a good example was in a 
previous organization that I was in where there were there was a multiple different products within portfolios, we acquired a product that was essentially ready to launch. So you now get something that you have no plan for, nobody even thought about, and the commercial team and your CEO is telling you, we need to launch this yesterday. So it, it's that same sort of situation. The advantage of in that situation, though, is that you've got people who are used to preparing for a launch and doing this. So we were able to accelerate fairly quickly, you know, for what, move people from one product to another, have them be able to prepare for that product launch. But again, doing it, you know, in haste, you, you miss a lot of things and you really don't do it adequately. That's, that's a really good point that did not come out this morning, that for those of you who might be involved in due diligence exercises with business development, we often are given those assets that are either late stage or actually commercialized that somebody's having a problem with and that we might want to take on. And that's, again, another opportunity for you to put on your strategy hat and say, okay, let's step back and think about what it is and why they may have been challenged or failed in the launch um, uh, and, and, and see if we think we can do it better because sometimes you get enticed to purchase an asset because some, they want to have an, you know, the organization wants to have another commercial asset. But um, if their strategy was not well-baked, you may be challenged to, even though you think you know how to do strategy better than others, you may be so far behind the eight ball that you're really talking about having to redo parts of the development in order to be successful. Thank you very much to our panelists for highlighting the importance of starting medical strategic planning as early as possible in the life cycle of a product. I think that the comment made on early involvement of medical in due diligence is an absolute key success factor and finally, having teams who are specialized in launch excellence may be necessary. This has been the second podcast in a series of medical affairs plans from strategic planning to measuring impact. In our third podcast, we will drill down deeper. Now it's down to tactics. If you're not yet a MAPS member and would like access to additional resources in this area, Please visit the MAPS website to start joining today at medicalaffairs.org backslash membership.